So what are we hoping happens right now, this morning, every Sunday, as we open God's word and hear the preacher preach yet again? What are, what are we hoping for? Do you ever wonder that? Does that ever cross your mind? Um, the thing that we're hoping for, I'm going to tell you what we're hoping for in case you were like, well, we're waiting for you to tell us what we're hoping for. What we're hoping for is, is spiritual maturity. We're hoping for spiritual maturity in Christ. We're hoping that as we continue to open God's word week after week, day after day, over the long haul, that Christ's word becomes more deeply formed in us and it shapes us and it forms us as the result. And in fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians, he tells us something about spiritual maturity in chapter four. You don't have to turn there, but he says this. Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Then he says this, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So you see here that Paul is saying that guys like me, teachers, uh, people that surround you, your church family who open God's word alongside of you, he's given us each other so that we are actually growing into something so that we're maturing in our faith, so that we can be guarded against things that are gonna come against us, that are gonna tell us what we believe is not really true and not really accurate because we are just surrounded by that. And you know what, if we weren't surrounded by that, we have our own hearts who are always telling us, wait a minute, do I really believe what God has told me? Am I really seeing evidence that this is true? Do you ever, has that ever happened to you? Do you ever wake up some mornings? Do you ever go through the course of your day? Do you ever have things happen to you and you think, wait a minute. I mean, do these events, are they telling me that God actually isn't for me? Are they telling me that God isn't even true in my life? So what Paul is saying here is that the goal for the Christian is to be surrounded by other believers involved in a fellowship of believers that we call the church so that God's word is being opened, it's being preached, and it's being applied to your heart week by week so that we are actually growing into something instead of stagnating into nothing. Does that make sense? So that's really the goal. That's why we've, you ever wondered why we come here? It's not to justify ourselves. God doesn't look down and go, hey man, just three more Sundays and we're good. He just doesn't do that, right? He's already justified you if you've given your life to him. We come in here to remind ourselves that we're justified so that we can live and become more sanctified, right? So if this is true, and I believe it's true, then what is something that can stunt your spiritual maturity? What are some things creating distance between you? between you and Jesus, between you and your church family, between you and your love for your neighbors? What's, what's preventing you maybe from serving well? What's keeping you from greater joy? And again, sometimes we just don't know how to address some of these questions. And for some of you, these questions are nagging. 
They're things that you're maybe thinking of a lot and you don't even know how to process them. So today we're going to try to unpack and answer some of those nagging questions just for a few minutes. We're going to take a look at pride, right? Always a fun topic, always a fun thing to preach through. But we're going to take a look at pride and specifically one of its byproducts, which we would call self-deception or lack of self-awareness, which is one of the things that happens in our pride as we stop seeing ourselves accurately for who we are and what's going on in our hearts. And by the way, um, just so you know, this will not be a loud sermon, okay? This will not be one of those sermons where I yell and scream about how you all need to get off your prideful high horses, Because unfortunately what's happening right now is you have a very prideful dude speaking to you, a bunch of prideful men and women, right? How come you guys got all quiet during the second part, but now you laughed when I called myself out on that one? I feel like that's mean and not fair, but but we're all here, I'm kidding, we're all here and we're, we're struggling with layers and levels of pride in our life. And believe it or not, the reason why it's not going to be a loud sermon Uh, is because pride is actually more quiet than it is loud. It's actually a little more subtle, to be honest. It's a little more like the mold sometimes that grows in our houses. Before you know it, you're breathing in something that you didn't realize that's actually damaging to your health, but you couldn't even see it, right, for a while. And pride is like that. It's believing in untruth about yourself and then living it out as if it's true, right? So uh, growing up, my my dad, I talk about my dad a lot because he had a really profound influence on my life. So sorry if you get tired of the dad stories. Melissa's not here, so I can tell this. Um, but he, uh, he loved baseball, but he never allowed uh, us, his, his boys or his daughters to play baseball. What my dad, on the other hand, allowed us to do is race motorcycles because I guess that was more dangerous and maybe that was a way for him to get rid of us. I don't know. I don't know why he made that decision. Baseball seemed a lot safer to me. He had other ideas. So we, uh, we, uh, we ended up racing motorcycles of all things when we were kids, raced mini bikes. And uh, before we did that though, we, we just, we, we rode for a couple of years and we learned how to ride and we thought we were getting really good. And I remember the first time we went to the races after we'd been riding for a couple of years, we're watching like, we're watching all these guys that I'd be racing against. We were like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, let's just give it a few races because we're obviously better. We're obviously going to win. We're obviously going to defeat, you know, all these guys that are riding at this national level. And then we'll move on and see how we want to, you know, conquer the, the, you know, the, the rest of the world. And so the first time we pull up to the races, the first time we race, I get 16th place out of 18 in the beginner class, right? So again, it's one of those things where I thought that I was something that I was not. I wasn't there. I was deceived, right? Richard Clark says, lack of self-awareness is a sin called deceit. So lack of self-awareness is really, it's self-deception. Tim Keller says, self-deception is not the worst thing that we do, but it is the reason we do the worst things. You know, again, back to my dad, he he ran a small business for years. It was a trucking company. And he always described when he hired new drivers, he said at about the three-month mark, they would get what he called the OCS. If you're wondering what the OCS is, I'm going to tell you. Um, he called it the overconfidence syndrome. And he said all of his drivers would always start getting sloppy 
You know, they have all this precious cargo in the back and they would just start turning corners a little fast. They'd be backing into docks a little bit too quickly. They'd be tossing around the freight a little bit too harshly and roughly. And he would call that the OCS. Some of you guys are thinking, how hard can it be to drive a truck, Ronnie? It seems like you're making a big deal about that. To which I would say, see, you're already prideful about what I'm telling you about right now. But it was something where they were, we battle with self-deception, whether we think we're going to be better at something than we really are, or whether we get flippant about things that we think we have down pat. It really affects us as believers in much more serious ways. And what we're going to read right here really is one of the most heartbreaking stories you guys are going to see here, one of the most heartbreaking stories in all of Scripture about a guy named King Uzziah. So if you're in Second Chronicles 26, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we will... Uh, We'll take a look at what's going on here. Second Chronicles 26, it says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, uh, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gurbel and against the, the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and he fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns for he had large herds both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and wine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers and the muster made by Jael the secretary and Maessa the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make more war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped." Till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. So go out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, then Uzziah was angry 
Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. And then we end in verse 22. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah... From first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, wrote, and Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So here's what we're seeing here. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, he was marvelously helped until he grew proud. As long as he sought the Lord. You catch that in the beginning? There's a condition in place there. What does it say? It says, as long as. So what we understand from the story of Uzziah here is that spiritual maturity, and we learn this from Paul in the New Testament, it happens what we would say synergistically, meaning we work together with the Holy Spirit as he works inside of us to love and obey God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, soul, and strength. So... This is what that means. As long as we seek the Lord, things happen for us in terms of our spiritual maturity. We experience his presence. We experience his love and peace. We grow in greater knowledge of his word. We become more gracious and merciful toward others. We grow in greater self-awareness of how sinful we are and how desperately we need God more and more each and every day. So God helps us as we work hard to seek him because God sought us with no help from us in order to save us, right? What is that? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news. So it sounds, going back to our story here, like King Uzziah, he started well, didn't he? I mean, this dude began his reign as a teenage prodigy in a lot of ways. I mean, he built and he rebuilt cities. He had successful war campaigns against the Philistines. He built towers. Dude created cisterns for livestock, cultivated the farmland because he loved the soil. He built this formidable army and even designed their battle gear. What? He invented war engines that hurled arrows and stones at their enemies. It also says he became well-known. He became famous. Kings paid tribute to him. As long as he sought the Lord, God made Uzziah prosper with the gifts he'd given him. And you know what? God gives gifts to us too, doesn't he? He gives gifts to you too. He's provided you with unique talents. As long as you seek the Lord, God will use the gifts he's given you for the flourishing of others just like he does here with King Uzziah. But part of becoming spiritually mature is seeing your giftedness, not just as gifts, but as gifts from God. The gifting is not the focus. In fact, when it becomes the focus, what happens to us? Well, we become forgetful, right? As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, it says. So the Lord must never become the obscured 
object of your focus. Have you ever wondered why God gives you the giftings that you have in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? Is he saying, I just want you to know how awesome you are. He wants your gifting to be a reminder of his grace. When that happens, your gifting does two things. Number one, it gives glory to God. And number two, it becomes a grace, not only for you and your flourishing and your maturity, but it becomes a grace to others. When it's not, it leaves you unguarded and ultimately ungrateful for something, by the way, that isn't yours in the first place. So here's the thing. Many of us are desperate to know what our gifting is. Maybe some of you are are feeling that way. I just don't even know what I'm gifted at. But it doesn't seem like Uzziah had that problem, right? This guy was just crushing it. What Uzziah seemed to lack was understanding of his gifts, understanding of what his gifting had the power to produce in his heart if he had left it unchecked. And this brother left it unchecked. So knowing your gifting is something that's important, but it also can lead to glowing under the light of your giftedness, exalting it, praising it, adoring it, wanting everybody else to just bow down before it. Your giftedness becomes your God, right? I saw this clip on YouTube of Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt getting out of a car for, for some movie premiere, right? I mean, these are two dudes that I would say they know they're pretty gifted, right? They know that they're these great acclaimed actors. The reason why they're getting out of a black Escalade is because they're being exalted for their giftedness as actors and good-looking people, Right? But you have to ask, do they understand their gifting? Understanding your gifting is seeing it through the lenses of some things. Well, what are those lenses? Well, it's seeing your gifting through the lenses of reality and repentance. Reality that you're not that great. And repentance because you think you're that great. As long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's what it says. Now, prospering doesn't necessarily mean everything goes how you want it to go. We're not told of any hardships that he had during all those campaigns, right? It means everything goes in your life the way God ordains it to go. And as long as you seek the Lord, you will endure through the peaks and the valleys. And you will be guarded against the pride that comes with the peaks. Does that make sense? Look at the life of Jesus. As long as he lived, what did he do? He sought the will of the Father, and yet he lived a life of incredible suffering. Did Jesus prosper? Would we say when we look at the life of Jesus that he prospered? Was he successful in all that he did? Well, he was because he sought his Father and by doing so accomplished the will of his Father. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, it says later he was marvelously helped. Marvelously helped. I don't know that I've ever read the word marvelously anywhere else in scripture. It might be there. Anytime you experience a victory, and by victory I mean literally anything good that happens to you, you have been marvelously helped Marvelously helped. I like the word marvelously because it hints at the kind of help we all need. 
He didn't say he was helped, but you know, it was kind of mediocre. He got some mediocre help from God. So again, he's a gifted guy. He's a prodigy. But you know what it says? It says he was marvelously helped. All those gifts. But he needed a special kind of help. Right? He needed a marvelous kind of help. He was helped in extravagant ways. And aren't we helped in extravagant ways? I mean, you know, I haven't invented machines to protect, you know, my house from the enemy, right? I barely lock the doors when I leave, right? But the help I've received from God has been marvelous. If you had a little bit of my story, you would know that. You'd be like, oh my gosh, why is that guy even up there speaking right now? I've been helped marvelously. In Proverbs, we're told this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. It's not discounting the horse. It's not discounting the preparation and the work that needs to be done for the horse to be made ready to go out and conquer. But it's saying, ultimately, it's the Lord that is the one behind the victory that it will achieve. You think of it like this, right? Think of your favorite football team. And for everybody here, it's probably either Michigan or Pittsburgh. Did I get that right? Did I mess that up? So I'm going to bum you out right now um, to say that you have nothing to do with whether that team wins when they start their season. You can argue with me about that. But you really have nothing to do with whether that team wins other than inspire them with your cheers and your support. I'm not discounting that, right? But you're not on the field. Your team gives you the win. They give you the bragging rights. They make all the effort. You experience their win, but you do it as a spectator and a supporter. But they do everything to grant you your bragging rights against all these Michiganers that relocated to Ohio that you're angry at all the time. The minute you think you're responsible for that win, you've become delusional, right? Uzziah was marvelously helped. What ways have you been marvelously helped in your life? Can you think of one way right now as I say that? What ways have you been marvelously helped? Because we are marvelously helped. We think about how our kids never want the help that you're offering them, right? They do later in life, by the way, just so you know. What do they say? They say, I can do it. They grab the thing you're trying to help them with. I can do it. I mean, that's funny, but that's actually us before, before the Lord, isn't it? It's actually us before the Lord, and even after the Lord, but really before God changes our hearts to see that working from our own strength is, is limiting it's very limiting. Our pride has a voice, okay? Do you know that? Pride has a voice. And it's a voice that whispers in your ear the very first thing that we see the devil whisper in Eve's ear, which is, did God really say? Did God really say? Is it really him that is controlling all things? Is it really God that you need is that really the best path forward for success? Are you really going to believe the words in that book? Is God really somebody that you can depend on? I mean, man, have you, have you seen what science has been saying lately about stuff? 
did God really say? Whether we know it or not, that is what is being whispered in our ears every morning we wake up, which is a temptation to not believe God, but to believe our own hearts, to trust our own will, to think that we are the ones responsible for our victories. Jesus has offered us a uniquely marvelous help. In the book of John, he talks about how we're helped. And it's not just help, but it's a helper, it's a person. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. Because the kind of help that we get, the kind of marvelous help that we get from God is in the form of a person, God the Holy Spirit, and it's something that comes with something, which he says is peace. My peace I give to you. And then he says this, this is what's so unique and marvelous about it. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. It's a, it's a lasting peace. It's a peace with fangs and hooks. It's a peace that allows you to endure. It's a peace that allows you to push back against that voice that says, did God really say, right? So the Christian who's growing in spiritual maturity is simultaneously growing in this kind of self-awareness, something that King Uzziah was lacking, knowing that as long as we seek the Lord, we're marvelously helped. Because we begin to see ourselves as needing the most help of anybody that's ever needed help in the history of help, right? All of King Uzziah's God-given gifts had deceived him into thinking he was something he was not. So that pride started producing a lack of self-awareness, self-deception. Look what it says in verse 16. But when he was strong, interesting phrase, he grew proud to his destruction. When he was strong, right? It wasn't enough for King Uzziah to rule his people. He needed to be their spiritual ruler as well. But that, that wasn't his job. God was very specific about the jobs that he laid out for his people. That job was reserved for the priests. So his lack of self-awareness had driven him to a place God hadn't granted him. And so Azariah plus 80 other priests had the courage, by the way, they were taking kind of a risk here, to call him out and call him to repentance. And poor King Uzziah in this moment, he had a moment, didn't he? He could have repented. He could have let that incense go, but he grew proud. And what did his pride lead him to? Anger. Who do they think they are, right? Who are they to tell me? Have you ever said that? I should see like every hand go up right now, but okay. Thanks, Jess Critcher. Um, we'll have something to talk about after the service. Um, Here's what's interesting. Sometimes God puts courageous people in your life to say, 
you are not in the right place. Turn back, come back. And many times, because our pride has reached a fever pitch, we ignore them. So Uzziah thought, the rules don't apply to me. Do you see what I've done? Do you see what I've accomplished? Do you see the kind of fame I've acquired? Do you see the kind of riches that I have? Uzziah thought the rules don't apply to me. And that's one of the byproducts of pride, it's self-deception. But God was still ruling on the throne and he's still on the throne when our pride makes us think that we are, right? So then immediately what happens? Well, Uzziah is struck with leprosy, the most dreaded of all the ancient diseases, highly contagious. People with leprosy had to be quarantined and he remained that way until his death. When he was strong, he grew proud. When he was strong. But you know what's sad? He'd already become a leper on the inside, hadn't he? Self-deception had overtaken Uzziah long before that brother reached the altar. Because pride is subtle. Because pride begins in the margins before it takes over the majority of our lives. So this lack of self-awareness, it leads us to things, right? One of the things that leads us to, maybe you've found this to be true in your own life, is that it leads us to making blunt decisions, right? Blunt decisions. If Uzziah had only paused before he even went in the temple to think, to pray, to receive counsel before going in, how different might his life have turned out? The world, by the way, is never going to tell you not to tell yourself you're great. I mean, if you don't believe me, man, go to Amazon and click on self-help. I mean, click on any number of categories of books by men and women who are trying to tell you something about yourself that is actually not true. They think the problem is that you don't think you're great. The Bible tells us that the problem is that we do. When he became strong, he grew proud. What does that tell us about strength then? Well, it tells us that we can grow strong in things that make us weak-minded and weak-hearted. Because the Bible defines weakness different than the world. What the Bible is always trying to tell us is that the way up actually is the way down. 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's talking to the church here. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. He's saying, consider how ordinary you are right now. And then he says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And then here's why. He says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then he goes on to say, let the one who boasts then boast in the Lord. 
So it's a natural thing for us to boast. The problem is what's most natural for us is to boast in ourselves and in our strength. The Bible is countercultural for us in that way. It says that's the way down, but the way up is to boast into the Lord and understand that as long as you seek him, you'll be marvelously helped and to guard against growing proud to your destruction. John Piper says this, don't focus too much on finding your strengths. How counter is that? That's all I'm being told all all day is find your strengths because apparently people don't think I know what they are. Don't focus too much, he says, on finding your strengths. He says this, give attention to identifying and exploring your weaknesses. Well, that sounds enjoyable. I'm going to get into that right after this. But that's what he says. He says, God has not given them to you in vain. What? Your weaknesses? So he says this, identify them, accept them, exploit them, magnify the power of Christ with them. He says, don't waste your weaknesses. Because on the other hand, pride is the exaltation of your strengths. Pride is the boasting in your gifting. And ain't none of us need a masterclass on how to do that. We all do it. So why preach a message on pride and self-awareness? Well, for me, really, to be honest with you. Pastors struggle with this so much. I mean, so much. I mean, if I can be honest with you, a long, t- a long time ago at this point, um, as I was finding my feet in ministry, a friend who worked with me uh, kind of looked around and saw everything that was going on at the church and the leadership and the lead pastor. I was the lead pastor. And he whispered in my ear one day, I'll never forget this. And he said, I think you could do all this. And I went, oh, huh. It planted a seed in me that grew. This poor brother didn't know he was doing that. But those seeds, they actually grew into weeds. So I became discontent. I grew ungrateful. I didn't seek the Lord as I should have. I ignored the ways that I was marvelously helped with the things that he had given me to do, not the things he'd not given me to do yet. I grew proud. I was self-deceived. In fact, whatever fruitfulness God had given me in this season, it was kind of lost on me because I was looking at something that my pride had tricked me into believing should have been mine but wasn't. That was a cautionary tale for me. So what are some observations then as we finish up to make about this? First one I think is this that I want to share with you is I think we can do good things for God without God. In other words, our gifting itself, our service to God can become our functional God. We can think our life amounts to what we do rather than who we are and what we're becoming because Christ is in us. And what happens is this sows the seeds of pride and boasting and lack of self-awareness in us. Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians, let no one deceive himself. If any among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So boasting in God 
instead of ourselves, it does something. It protects us from thinking we can do things without him. It protects us from doing things for God, but without God, which is the place that King Uzziah eventually got to. So we need to be aware of that because we want to serve the Lord, but we always need to be constantly checking our motivations for why we're doing it. And the second thing, the second observation is that we need to be aware of envy because envy is pride's, I would say, subtle sidekick, okay? Because sometimes we can look at others, and maybe you're even looking at King Uzziah here, and we can think, man, I can, I'm not that guy. I can never be like them. I don't possess even a tenth of their giftedness. I have nothing to be prideful about. So the first thing, the first prideful thing you can ever say is, I have nothing to be prideful about. You make a prideful statement, right? So what happens, though, is our pride can take a different shape. We can become envious. But we forget, don't we? that gifted people need as much grace as we do, right? They're dust. They're just like us. Remember there was this guy back in the day in our youth group. It's just this guy, man, that everybody loved, including all the girls. I despised him, of course, because I couldn't be like him. I wasn't that guy. I wasn't that guy at all. Uh, and he was just kind of prideful, kind of arrogant. He knew it. He was the guy. He knew it. You know those guys that know it? He was that guy. So one day we're at a youth retreat and we got to see his frailty a little bit. We were, we were in this field and there was a buffalo down the hill into the valley off the field. And he said, hey, I want, I want you guys to get a picture of me with this buffalo. And I'm just spectating. Stands down there. Buffalo's about 10 feet away. He's standing there, puts his arms out, you know, like he's the savior of the world, right? <laughs> taking pictures of him and the buffalo just starts charging at him. It was insane. And um, he starts running and he runs into this swamp and he literally falls head over heels, face down in the swamp, covered in all the black mud and the water and all that stuff. Um, I wasn't envious of him any longer, right? Guy's so arrogant going down there thinking, I have the whole, I don't know, youth group at my feet, so somehow this buffalo is going to be all cool with me, right? It's self-deception. It was self-deception. And it changed the way I looked at him because I saw his frailty and his fragility. People got to see King Uzziah's frailty. So we want to make sure that we don't look at people like Uzziah or people that are just supremely gifted and exalt them to a place that just confirms their own pride and think that because of that, we can't possibly struggle with those same things because envy is a pathway to pride. And then finally this, the humility of Jesus is the only remedy for pride. If you want to know what's eating at you, if you want to know what's preventing you, what's stopping you, what's holding you up, it might be some level of pride and self-deception and lack of self-awareness. There's one remedy. There's not seven self-help books that I'm just going to give you a handout with to go read. It, it's one thing. It's, it's Jesus. It's the humility of Jesus. There's never going to be a dilemma in your life to which the humility of Jesus isn't the answer. Right? There's something for us here beyond just a cautionary tale, and that's the cross. It's the cross of Christ in which you need no caution to approach. 
In fact, it was the depths of your pride and my pride that crucified Jesus. And yet he willingly died so that pride might not be the final destroyer of us for eternity. Because sin makes lepers of us all, right? But we don't have to have a sad ending like Uzziah. We don't have to end with a legacy of destruction and despair. You know what history tells us is that a stone plaque was found in Jerusalem many years ago with the inscription, this inscription on it. Here were brought the bones of Uzziah, king of Judah. Do not open. We don't have to have that kind of a tragic end. God desires a different ending for you and for me in our lives as we're being more fully sanctified in him. In fact, I think he gives us a really good picture of this in this parable he tells in Luke 18. And he said he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. So he said this, he told the story, he said two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. He said this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Sounds like somebody I would just love to hang with, right? But the tax collector, the guy that nobody wanted to hang with, by the way, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the story of Uzziah invites us to a very unique humility, which reminds us that as long as we seek the Lord, we'll be marvelously helped unless we grow proud. The psalmist helps us in this. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. I get my eyes off myself. From where does my help come? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You can trust the Lord with the things that you've been trusting yourself to accomplish. You can give those things to him. That naggingness that is surrounding you in all these different areas, you can find rest and peace. You just need to look up like the psalmist tells us. What's God bringing to mind in your life that has now before today been hidden? What's he bringing up? Well, because of Jesus, we don't have to linger forever in the places that our pride has put us in. The cross of Jesus brings us back. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray today that you would protect us from our pride, that you would let us see, Lord, what we can't see. We thank you for the ways that you have marvelously gifted us and helped us. So today, God, we pray that you would guard us against our greatest strengths, becoming our greatest weaknesses, and instead bring us back to Christ, who in weakness and humility showed the strength and power of God. So Lord, I pray that we would go to you today and the things that you've surfaced in our hearts and made us mindful of, we'd repent to you 
And Lord, you would begin to restore us in some areas that have been hindering us, some leprous parts of our heart that you are so willing and so eager to make whole again. Lord, we pray that you would do that and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.